0: going to talk about a near-death experience mad at the world a trip to hell and back so first real quick please if you haven't please subscribe please hit the bell if you want to be notified this is live stream i notify usually about 10 minutes ahead of time you can ask me questions during the live stream uh please share this video and uh comment and hit the uh the up arrow to say you like this video the more we get people to listen to uh stories about near-death experiences the more we open up for people to learn about spirituality and about spiritism now this is in this what we're going to talk about is in my book (coughs) excuse me the spirit world talks to us 12 accounts from near death and other experiences and what i do is i base my interpretation of NDEs on the accumulation of Spiritist literature and Spiritist literature has been around since the 1850s. Allan Kardec codified Spiritism in the 1850s by talking to multiple mediums in, in multiple places and not using the responses unless he had similar or exact responses from different mediums. So all of this is information brought to us by the Spirit World, who they are trying to open up for us to listen to them of what is the spirit world is about first clue we are immortal we are that's where we spend most of our time and we live life after life on earth in order to become better spirits now let's start about the nde because i know that's what people want to hear about and it's very exciting one so Mm David was an angry young man, and he was mad at God because he was gay and a multitude of other reasons. He had lived in Hawaii, but was now stateside in the East Bay area of California. He had traveled on his first skiing trip and came back with walking pneumonia. That night, all alone in the house, he would experience purgatory and be rescued to preview a slice of heaven. His experience was posted on the nderf.org, Near Death Experiences Research Foundation website, which contains many accounts of NDEs experienced by people of every country, language, and culture. I would recommend anybody who's interested. There there are many, uh, you know, the same themes comes up. Uh, It's amazing. You know, some people have good experiences, some people not so good, and everybody learns from them. So let's get into what he said. This is a quote. My cough had gotten much worse by then, and I found it very difficult to take in and let out my breath without struggle. At that point, I could could vaguely remember someone's personal account of her bout with walking pneumonia when I was eating lunch at the ski lodge in Squall Valley. I was wrapped in a very warm clothing to keep from getting colder. The wind was loud outside and I kept hearing my father's voice in my head saying, boy, what's wrong with you? Don't you know there's no sick in this family? His voice in my head made me feel strong again. So I stood up in attention and answered, yes, dad, I know. I put on my mittens, my winter cap, my shoes and headed for the door to walk this cold off. I fell in my walk less than a quarter of the ways down the neighborhood block and struggled quickly to stand up and look my best and make it back home. Hoping the neighbors did not see my weakness. I was dying and I knew it. A little denial before death is always natural, as it always seems that the experience is very surreal, quote. So David opens up and he tells us he tries to fight through his illness. He had a premonition that he was exposed to pneumonia, but he thought if he toughed it out, he could defeat the oncoming sickness. David returned home, very fragile, and in a state where his body could fail at any moment. I will quote him again. I was back on my couch, unable to move comfortably. I finally made it back to my room to lie down. It was a very small spare room in the house, much like a large walk-in closet. The room was decorated nicely with all the things that I liked. The room aesthetics alone were a great comfort. In the middle of the night, I finally drifted into sleep and was awakened by a hard stabbing pain in my chest. My eyes were wide open and looking up towards the ceiling in terror. My mouth was wide open and was unable to draw in the next breath. I was choking and convulsing in my bed. The pain was beyond words. My vision was now leaving and I could only hear the sounds and feel the pain slowly subside from some kind of natural drug euphoria released from my brain. Then there was no more physical pain. Still, I could hear the body and its last kicks against the bedside wall. And then there was nothing. End quote. So when David first left for his first skiing trip, he was confused and irate at the same time. He wanted to blame anyone he could for his perceived problem. He had let himself lose control of his emotions. He radiated the heat of anger from his mind spreading waves of discordant emotions in a full circle outward from his body. Now, spiritism tells us emotions flow from us and are picked up by others. Spirits feel them immediately, and incarnates process these passions in a subconscious level, incarnates being us here on earth. Hence, we are beacons, lighthouses that can spread light or darkness on those around us. The idea of the power of thought and our need to regulate that influence is a recurring theme in spiritism. In the spirit world, and to an extent in the material world, we are our thoughts. But more importantly, our feelings affect the world around us. Our thoughts cause actions through the electrical vibrations generated by our mind. And that power must be tightly controlled. In the book Between Heaven and Earth, André Luis, the spirit author, is listening to an intimate classroom discussion given by a spirit called Clara on the subject of the voice. She discusses how a person's voice can transmit via focused energy or an undisciplined force. Our minds control how we deliver the message. The need for controlling our emotions is backed by a question from a student. The question is, when we want to deal with a problem, is it crucial that we never become angry? So the spirit Clara provides the answer. Yes, it is. It is a proven fact that anger never does anyone good. Anger is nothing more than a dangerous short circuit in our mental energies due to a defect in our emotive world, resulting in destructive rays being emitted all around us. Now, those are words to live by. How many of us fall into the trap of anger? I know I have lost control too many times to count. The quest for improving our inner emotional balance to create the required spiritual calmness to regulate our emotions is vital for us all. And what exactly is the danger of being angry, you may ask? Well, Clara provides the details. On such occasions, if we aren't with someone who possesses the insulating material of prayer or patience, the sudden imbalance in our energies causes great harm. Because when thoughts of anger become interiorized, they can cause temporary mental blindness, dragging the mind into sensations rooted in the remote past. Sensations that in turn drag us down into unfortunate experiences of lower animality without even realizing it. According to what we know, anger cannot and must not be expressed in what we say. An angry person is an out-of-control dynamo, and coming into contact with him or her may cause the strangest disturbances. So what is she telling us? She's telling us that not only do we emanate corrupt vibrations, but we inadvertently reinforce emotions from a more primitive past than we have strived for to remove from our repertoire. Worse, anger becomes part of us and our outlook upon the world. We are a delicate machine and losing control of our emotion changes ourselves and the world around us. Our character is influenced by our emotional state. Now, Spiritism tells us that when we pass over to the other side, as the Druids call the spirit realm, we are still who we were during our physical life. Therefore, if we were criminals, we still are in the afterlife. If we were kind and considerate, we still are in the afterlife. Our character and our thoughts dictate where we shall travel to when we shed our physical bodies. In the book, Our Daily Bread, psychob- psychographed by Francisco Chico C. Xavier, and written by the spirit Emmanuel, there is a chapter which explains that we shall experience what we believe. The chapter is titled, Looking Farther Ahead. I will quote, For with the same measure with which you measure others, you yourself shall be measured, quote by Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. I'll carry on. To Eskimos, the sky is a continent made of ice, supported by seals. To the primitive peoples in the forest, there is no paradise greater than abundant game. To persons of sectarian religion, the glory beyond the grave, belongs exclusively to them and those who are of the same mind. The erudite, this world and the heavenly spheres that surround it are but a small corner of the universe. Transfer this observation to your own field of daily activities and do not forget that external situations will be registered in your inner realm according to the elements of reflection harbored in your conscience. If you persevere in anger, all the energies around you will appear enraged if you prefer sadness you will see discouragement on every step of the road if you doubt yourself no one will have confidence in your efforts if you will you will live either tormented or peaceful within a lower or higher realm where you choose to place your mind and within the atmosphere that suits you you will live with the spirit you call upon If you dwell on idleness, you will experience idleness in all its tones and hues. And if you involve yourself in work, you will find a thousand different ways of being useful. The scenery that surrounds your steps will always be what you deem it to be, for with the same measure that you apply to nature, the living work of God, nature will measure you. Very interesting quote. Now, telling telling us we determine where our journey at the end of our lives go we go exactly where we should to the very place we have dwelt upon for years decades before our physical death david was angry mad at god mad at himself and all around him david's nde took him to the very place he had in his mind to hell his hell. now i like to make sure there is no concept of hell and spiritism meaning that hell is a place you go eternally. there is terrible places more like a purgatory and you are only there as, until you change your character and your attitude. but let's go back to David. David laid on his bed he felt his life oozing out of him. he decided to get up his room seemed different. he couldn't see but he sensed that his body was still on the bed he could, he could see an aura coming from each of his possessions as he walked his footprints left a glow now why is this because our thoughts attach themselves to inanimate objects the correct term is psychometry the definition of psychometry is the alleged art or faculty of divining facts concerning an object or a person associated with it by contact with or proximity to the object now gifted individuals can read the entire history of objects through the thoughts that have been embedded in the body of the article. Spirits who have been trained are able to discern the history of each element which were brought together to create the device. Thoughts from our mind flow through objects and leave their remnants as they fly out towards unlimited space. David continued on, wishing to explore the strange new world about him. Now I'll quote him at first i tried for the bedroom door and reached out to open it my arm went through up to my elbows i could sense the feel of others out there who wallowed in great sorrow like nothing else mattered it was frightening so i pulled my arm back in i looked towards my window and saw that the branches of the tree kept hitting a, up against the window from the storm still going on outside i considered returning to my body but it seemed like it was no longer an option the single light bulb that i left on above my head was starting to glow brighter and brighter this was the entrance i told myself so i decided to reach out to the light and go go i did very very fast all my life's record played back from my birth till my death end quote very interesting is it not the storm outside in the presence of frightened and angry spirits were caused by David going to the place where he fitted the best, where he thought he should be, to where there would be others just like him, to where the atmosphere suited him. David, unlike so many others who have had near-death experiences, who talked about their immediate feeling of being overwhelmed with love, had the opposite impression. Instead of a vortex of swirling warm and comforting light, All David saw was a bare light bulb that increased in luminosity. David felt fear and sadness, whereas those who had NDEs, who attempted to balance their emotional state, felt a wave of love which flowed through them and sent them into a state of near ecstasy. Next, David had his life review. Alone, he had the scenes of his current existence played with no commentary, no support, No coaching or lessons learned or areas of improvement to be noted. So now, contrast David's experience with that of James, who I wrote about in my first book about NDEs, what really happens during near-death experiences according to Spiritism. When James' heart stopped, a woman's spirit approached him, led him out of our world to the spirit world, where, as many others before him have noted, the flowers and trees shined as if lit from within. In the book, Psychographed by Francisco C. Xavier, the spirits who communicate with us also comment about the wondrous aspects of the light, how their senses are heightened and everything takes on a brilliant hue with colors that we have never seen before. James described where his life would be reviewed. Now I'm gonna quote James. I was led by the lady through the forest. I asked where we were, what had happened to me? Where were we we going? I was told everything was fine and my questions would be answered soon. I didn't feel concerned. In fact, I felt calm and peaceful. I was led by the lady to a clearing in the forest, in the middle of which was a large wooded oval table, with ten or eleven people seated around it, and one chair empty, which I was indicated to sit at. Then the lady left. The people at this table seemed very familiar, but in an otherworldly way, and also had the same young but old-looking qualities. I was warmly welcomed and told that I left my physical body, and the purpose of the council was to decide if I should stay or return to it, and that a review would take place to determine this. The review consisted of a screen which appeared above the table in the center, which did began to, to play a film of my life from the moment I was born. member of the council paused the film at different parts, and we looked at the circumstances surrounding specific events, sometimes from different perspectives of the other people involved, but mostly they were interested in how the experiences had affected me and my feeling about those things, end quote. Now, we must remember the spirit world doesn't wish us to be punished. They want us to learn. Each individual has their own method to absorb new lessons the most efficiently. Plus, during different times and within different moods, we may require a novel approach to learn what we need to acquire. Hence, for some, I walk in the woods and a seat at a table with a group of sympathetic spirits. For David this occurred. This is what happened to David. I'll quote back to David. I went to a very stormy place. This was perhaps the destination that I reached when having died in anger at the time when I could not remember having much peace in my heart. I remember mentioning that at this place there was an after echo in my thought voice. My voice would echo straight out towards the horizon before me and always return back into me from the horizon behind me this i thought was very annoying this place i reached was not a comfortable environment at all storms like no other storm seen on earth would unfold before me in the sky and on the ground of this new and shaken planet there were various sizes of volcanic vents around me that would blow steam and heat at any given moment sometimes ghost apparitions would appear in the steam blast and start to wander around lost as if searching for something they cannot find quote so you notice david being angry doesn't speak about his life review except that he had it alone david certainly wasn't in heaven he was either in the lower zone or the abyss which we would most would call a type of purgatory he was not on a different planet He was in a different dimension somewhere around or under the crust of the earth. Now, what do I mean by lower zone? The spirituality created the lower zones or a type of temporary hell to function as a time out, a time out where one can fully understand the logical extension of their behavior because they will be sentenced to live with others who think and act just like they do. The timeout ends when the unfortunate spirit comes to the conclusion that their previous set of values may be mistaken and that they should make some changes. The Reverend G. Val Owen wrote a series of books, four of which are included in the compilation called Life Beyond the Veil. In it are stories of heaven, different levels of heaven, how each higher stage has its own characteristics. Conversely, there are accounts of forays into the lower zones now the lower zone is an area which begins at the boundary of the lowest level of heaven and reaches down in successive stages to inside the earth's crust now the lower zone really stops at the earth's crust the dark abyss is below it different sections are for spirits of varying degree of selfishness materialism and criminality where the guiding light of love kindness is almost extinguished but in spite of the surroundings the outposts of angelic spirits do exist to help poor lost souls who are ready and willing to modify their beliefs in a separate book not part of the compilation of life beyond the veil is the story of paul the title of the book is paul and albert the book was dictated by the spirit kathleen and her spirit group the g Bow owen in 1919 It's a very short book 68 pages But it's 68 pages of some of the most powerful statements and visions I have ever read, not because of the monsters or cruel acts performed, but of the normal course of thinking and behavior of the denizens of the lower zones, attitudes that would fit just fine within our current culture. Although some may decry their lack of empathy and morals, still many of these poor souls were very successful in the physical world. Consider the last moments of the last moments and memories of Paul, who is the protagonist in this book that Alan, that um, G. Val Owen was dictated to by the spirit of Kathleen. This is based on the true story of Paul and Albert, as their experiences after Paul had died. So I'll quote: "This is what happened to Paul. He had been figuring out what he had made in that day." As he motored home in his comfortable car with a chauffeur in front, he had been idly gazing at the chauffeur's back, and the quaint thought had come to his mind that if the man had about, say, thirty shillings in his pocket, and his watch had cost three pounds, and his underclothes, say, two pounds, the uniform had cost about five pounds ten shillings complete. Well, he had just made about one and three-eighths of what would buy that man as he sat there and had not been an extra good day so far as remuneration went. So that is what Paul was thinking. He's thinking about money, how superior it was to the man he had hired. Now, Paul was a doctor, a physician in London who had a profitable practice enough to have a house in London, maid, butler, and a chauffeur. Now, this was back, you know, in the, in the late 19th or early 20th century. It was enough to have a house in London and all that with a wife and children well taken care of by the gift of his material wealth. All the accoutrements that a successful man in a capital city required to demonstrate his social status. Now, Paul, this successful doctor, the man who was used to giving orders, he died in that car and he woke up in a dingy room. He couldn't understand why he was clothed in an old calico suit. His coat was too large, and his pants were in tatters. What worried him the most was that he had actually shrunken in height. He was no longer slightly fat, but more skin and bones. Still feeling groggy, he noticed three women and one man in the room, all sitting on the floor, saying nothing. His first thought was that he had been drugged and kidnapped. Now the scene is described. The one time doctor sat with his back against the angle and gazed on them in surprise and presently in horror. For the longer he looked at them, the more hideous and malevolent did their faces and even their attitudes appear. There was, in some indefinable way, a sense, an atmosphere of wickedness, hate, and agony in the room. And this had become intensified as each had entered. So now it had become intolerable. But the strange thing about this feeling was that the wickedness and malevolence seemed not to be so much as theirs as is his own reflected back to him. End quote. So let's think about this. The dinginess and the fetid atmosphere that greeted Paul also welcomed David. There would be worse to come for Paul and David. Waking up in a squalid location was trivial compared to what would happen next. Now let's talk about David's what did he saw when he was there with all that volcanic activity I shall quote one of the ghosts blasted out of the vent nearest me it was a woman she frightened me she was dressed in very ancient garb torn in places and appeared to be very dirty she had no feet below so she sort of drifted on air she was approaching my space very slowly when she reached close enough for me to touch I chose to communicate I asked if she was able to tell me the name of this place. She would not answer. However, she slowly crept even closer to me, as if she was going to take, steal, or hurt me. I know all thoughts are heard here, so you can't hide a plan for yourself. Instead, you just have to come out and say it. So I said very stern, who are you? She then tore off a part of the shroud that hid her face and showed me only bone and skull her jaw wide open as if dislocated. She rose up completely out of her robe and swooped down at me for a bite. It was my left shoulder, my spirit body. The pain was so great it was worse than death. At that very moment, she swooped around in midair to take another bite of my spirit. I dropped down to my knees and cried out for God. The spirit woman placed her hands on her head and disappeared back into the ground vent. I noticed some other approaching spirits did the same. Still I cried for God and asked if he would forgive me for speaking so crude of him back on earth, and if he would accept me back and take me home away from this strange land. So notice what David saw was quite similar to what Paul saw. Dingy people dressed, people look ugly. And this, he even saw her this skull and, and bones. And think about it the air, the environment, the heat and steam, then the hideous creature that attacked David all combined to give him a taste of his future home. The spirit realm deliberately allowed David to descend to that horrid location. They wished for him to see what would become of him if he chose to continue hating the world and God. He had to learn the lesson that seeking to wish or cause others harm is not the path to ascend, but to descend in the bowels of the earth. Guard, David's guardian angel knew all that would befall him. A notes to David, his angelic mentor, was beside him, listening to him, listening to him cry out to be saved, crying for the one he had been cursing a short time before. Now, a similar but more intense episode awaited Paul when he decided to leave that room in the lower zone. In his story, he was given the gift of talking to a guardian who gave him advice unlike the other creatures around him she was young and pretty she appeared brighter than the others she walked up to paul and said this man had called you doctor that office is no longer your yours so you have not used it very well as to your medical skill i will only say that it was not nearly so great as either you or your unfortunate patients considered it to be for it was based on material science and even the bodies of your patients are more than mere matter. You took no account of the fact that those bodies were permeated through and through with spirit, which being withdrawn, animation ceased. Which made the affair so much worse, I still speak in a medical sense, was that your motive in chief was the making of money. The caring of your patient was not the aim, but only in aim. It was not the principal aim you had in view. It took a subordinate place. You would not have admitted this even to yourself. You would have been shocked at the suggestion. That, however, is the first thing you have to recognize here. For until you have done so, there is no hope of progress for you. You do not accept my words now, but they will come back to you in the midst of your agony and will be of help to you then. This is why I have spoken this way to you. Now. Paul's spirit guide, the only person who really cared for him in that horrible place, spoke the truth. She wished to give him the key so he could change. She knew his current attitude, wouldn't budge. He was too proud, too sure of himself to listen to anyone. Unlike David, who quickly sensed the danger around him, then was attacked and quickly knew in his heart that he had to ask ask for help, Paul, holding on to his obstinacy, refused to heed the gracious warning he was given. Instead, he wandered on until he came to an area where two people, a man and a woman, were talking to a congregation on a stage. There was a crowd of about a thousand lost souls, captivated by the dominant spirit speaking on the dais. The true addressed Paul and told him to come up on the stage, and Paul hesitated. Then the woman sternly commanded him, come hither and mount this platform. You have a public duty to perform for the benefit of the community in which you are to be initiated come and come quickly now remember thought is action and these superior mental capabilities of the two people on on at the theater and paul was not used to this he was completely dominated therefore he had no choice but to obey their will was stronger than his the crowd roughly pushed them onto the stage the narrative continues Paul was formed that he was to play the part of a model in an anatomical lecture that, he had, that had been his line of interest in his earth life. And he would now, no doubt, be not the least interested among those who would listen to the wisdom of these very two learned idealistic scientists. This was explained to him by three assistants as they stripped him of every rag which had clothed him and bound him naked to a stake which was fixed into the rock a little to the rear of the center of the stage. Now, notice those people on the dais, the air of sarcasm, the use of his own past against him. Souls who have been in the lower zones for quite a long time are often very intelligent and able to use their minds to read the thoughts of others and to control the actions of lesser spirits. The lecture then begins, I will quote. Then the lady proceeded to deliver her lecture while the man illustrated her points. From time to time on the body of Paul, in order to do this, he used two tools. One was a sharply pointed lancet with a long handle. With this, he indicated the precise spot in Paul's anatomy of which the woman was speaking. He did this by plunging it deeply into the flesh. When some internal organ was mentioned, he used the other implement. This was an immense scalpel, which he cut open the body and laid the flesh aside in order to exhibit the organ discoursed upon in these operations the man and woman took turn and turn about but while the torture inflicted was terrible enough the fact that so far from losing his consciousness his intellect became more alert as his bodily suffering increased added agony to agony so think of this all through the or- ordeal paul was wide awake most astonishingly, he also did not bleed Paul didn't realize that in his spirit form he could not die, no matter what they did to his body. But they didn't only just torture his corp, corpse, but his mind too. Now, quote, the like of it he had never seen before. Every sin in his life seemed to be known to them. One after another, they brought them forth and with ribald words couched in mock scientific phases and with an assumed courtesy laid bare his innermost thoughts, his secret deeds since long ago forgotten and as he had thought lost in the void of the past these were now with saint shameless relish re retailed in detail and in his hearing before the public audience who cheered and howled amazing isn't it so finally after the fun was concluded for the audience he was thrown into a cave and left to recover now let's go back to david When David, into this volcanic land with these bad spirits around him, when he cried out for God, the mere mention of God was not the cause of the other spirits to retreat and sink back into their holes. He was mistaken about that. No, the ignorant spirits, those who had resisted the cold, the change for the better, could sense the presence of a higher spirit, a spirit whose brightness would blind the others if they saw the full manifestation. A spirit who resides in one of the levels of heaven is less dense and reflects the love of the supreme being. Hence, they appear bright from within. Whereas the spirit who hasn't accepted the love of God doesn't reflect much light, for no one is wholly bad. And a lower spirit is denser, not as much as we are on earth, but still more than a higher spirit. And when I say denser, I mean, they have more matter composed and less energy Then the ratio of energy to matter, goes higher and higher, more and more energy versus less and less manager, um, matter as a, as a spirit ascends into different levels of heaven. So hence, if a higher spirit wishes to make him or herself visible, they must will themselves to become more solid so the lower spirits can see them. And this is what was occurring as David shouted for help. David's guardian angel, his spirit mentor, was preparing to take him out of the lower zones. I will quote David. It was at this moment that I realized that my voice would no longer echo and return back into me. Instead, I would roar, roar out his name unto the summit of the horizon, and his name alone would explode into light and sound. The rest of the spirits around me would show fear as if God was not any comfort to them at all. This was sad to me, but it was also a joy for me to know that God has accepted my apologies as the light on the horizon would expand in my direction. So beautiful was his light, words cannot express. His light was like the rising sun, and like the sun, he rose up from behind the mountains into the sky. Love poured into every part of my being, and my soul was revitalized. The planet was also changing under his light. I saw parts of the mountains tear open and gust forth in the form of waterfalls. The dark clouds above my head shrank backward at an amazingly swift pace. God has come. His light is warm and welcoming. I then reach a high level of calm and peace. End quote by David. So, what was happening? David was being escorted up. We could say figuratively up, although it's really it's just changing the data around him. But that is for another talk and more diving deeper into Spiritism. He was let's for for you know for interest of being uh, more simplistic. He was escorted up into the higher spiritual spheres. David was embraced by another spirit without assistance. David could not have made the journey up toward the light at such a rapid pace. In the spirit world, spirits can move by thought. There is no speed limit. The velocity of light poses no boundary to the imagination of the spirit, but there are fences around the different bands or levels of the spirit world. Those in the lower zone can journey up since their soul is too dense and the glare of the light would be too much for their untrained eyes. David, protected by his mentor, was enabled to feel the startling difference between the lower and the upper zones. Once he rose, he lost the feeling of sadness and anger. He could see for miles instead of feet and David was allowed only a sneak peek of what he could obtain if he worked to improve himself. I will quote, Now again, David. Slowly as his light was shed across the land, you could see grass come up out of the ground. Huge trees would tear out of the surface and stand tall before me. Birds of all kind would fly about the sky. All of God's creatures came out of the forest as if to greet me. This was the most grand welcome back home. Tears of joy and laughter are all the words I can sum up from this experience. His light then grew extremely bright. I had been completely bathed in white light. God held me lovingly in his embrace for a time. His light grew brighter until I could barely see anything. At this point, I could sense that it was time for me to go back to earth. Looking at God, I said, please, Lord, can I stay? Hush, he would say, your time on earth has not been completed. Now go off and be a good lad for there's much more for you to learn. I thanked God endlessly during my journey home. Then there, wham. I'm in my body again, enough. I don't know if that's really a word, but that's what it feels like when you first get a body back. So enough, okay, end quote. So David's near-death experience was relatively quick. He was shown two extremes, two choices, a stark, unforgiving landscape with dangerous malevolent spirits roaming about or a paradise of light and love. Now, David didn't actually see God. Even high spirits, don't see god even high spirits have told that they have they don't have a complete understanding of god what david saw not not, although he felt the rays of god's love right but only after spirits ascend level after level come closer to becoming a perfect or pure spirits will they even begin to really understand the power and the force of god of the divine being so what david saw was a spirit a high spirit a spirit that radiated the love that came from within and the reflected love of God's universe. The spirit that looked over and guided David was, in the past, just like us. He or she, too, incarnated in life after life in a quest to achieve perfection, to erase all the blemishes of a baser emotions and to fill them with love, fraternity, charity, and honor. It was all part of the plan specifically tailored for David's benefit. The spirituality knew precisely how to present the lesson plan. They knew what would motivate David to alter his mindset and to make a lasting impression to get him to change course. David woke up back in his body. He immediately questioned himself for being delusional, but he couldn't deny his lungs were now completely clear. The spirit world made sure he would be given positive evidence of his journey. Mentally checking that he indeed had an out of body experience, he waited for the dawn. I'll quote him again. This had to be one of the most beautiful mornings that I had ever seen. The sky was bright pink and the sun embraced the horizon. Even now, there are days when life gets too tense. That is when I know it is time to stop and watch the sun rise. Many times, I can still see him smiling in the sun and shining on my face. That is a great comfort to me, and so is the knowledge that we have a home to go when we have finished life's lessons and labor. End quote. David was blessed with a positive outcome. The spirit realm and all of his friends residing in the other side were pulling for his success. Now, let's go back to Paul. Now, remember, Paul lost his physical body. He was a harder case than David. The story is that he spent years wandering in the lower zones, and when he finally grew tired of living amongst his own kind, thinking like he thought, and knew he desired a better life, a life filled with love instead of hate and derision. Once he mentally adjusted himself and started to treat others with kindness, his angelic mentor led him upwards out of purgatory. When they ventured into the next sphere, Paul was amazed. I'll quote the book. Paul was lost in admiration of the scene before him. There were islands dotted about the river's course, on which were kiosks and summer houses, and on one large island, a music pavilion. Here was an orchestra which made music that floated over the lawns and flower gardens and houses, and bathed all in a flood of melody. It brought a sense of restful content to the two weary newcomers who stood there wrapped in ecstasy. So great was the contrast. And so sudden had it been sprung upon Paul that he forgot his companions and stood wrapped in silent wonderment. At last his lips moved as to himself he murmured, yes, God lives. It was the first time that name had been on his lips since he had left the earth life. He paused for a few moments, still in a deep rapture of solemn meditation and then added, and loves. So his spirit guide, told him that this wasn't even the beginning of heaven. It was only a way station to rest and recuperate after a hard expedition. She then led him to a pavilion and asked him to wait. When she returned, she had Paul's wife on her arm. She had waited for the betterment of her husband. Paul took his wife and gave her a long hug and felt warm in the arms of his long-awaited love. So what does this all tell us? It tells us that we have support above and all around us. Paul and David didn't just improve spontaneously. They were guided by a legion of spirit helpers and close friends who cheered them on during their struggle. The spirit world doesn't want to lose one of their flock. They fervently wish for all beings incarnate and discarnate to discover the light. In the book, Our Daily Bread, in chapter 76, we are told by the spirit emmanuel of how we are nurtured and watched there's a chapter called witness therefore since we too are surrounded by such a great great cloud of witnesses let us leave behind everything that hinders paul in hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. this concept of paul of tarsus deserves special consideration by students of the gospel Each human existence is always an invaluable day of struggle, a generous step towards an infinite ascension. And whatever the situation may be, people will always be surrounded by an enormous legion of witnesses. We are not only referring to those who are part of our own family circle, but above all the friends and benefactors of each individual who watch over him or her in different situations of life from the lofty realms of higher spirituality. All over the world, disciples are surrounded by a large cloud of spirit witnesses who follow their every step, taking note of their attitudes, for no one has come to the earthly experience by chance without solid reasons based on love or justice. Generous spirits endorse the request of the repentant souls prior to its reincarnation. Judges took part in the processes related to it. Friends interceded in the service of assistance, contributing to organizing the particulars of the redemptive struggle. These friends and guides steadfastly watch over their ward throughout the new task and speak to him or her without words in their innermost reaches of the conscience. Parents and children, husbands and wives, siblings and blood relatives of the world are protagonists of the evolutionary drama whereas those watchful observers usually remain on the other side of life. This very day do as much good as possible for your partners in the struggle and do not forget those who full of concern and love watch over you in spirit. That was from our daily bread. So what are they telling us? Nothing could be plainer. We are supported by an army of loving spirits who have our best interests at heart. While it may not seem so in the middle of our daily dramas, we have the capacity to grow and make them proud of us by our actions every day." So I hope you enjoyed this this, presentation of Mad at the World, A Trip to Hell and Back. Now, this is all in my book that I will go up on the screen. Sp- the spirit world talks to us. Twelve accounts from near death and other experiences. The book is in uh, Kindle. It's in paperback, and you can get that. And it, it, what it does, it takes different near death and other experiences. It explains through the prism of spiritism what really happened on the other side of that curtain and what spiritism is all about now if you'd like to learn more about spiritism you can go to my site nwspiritism.com i have a lot of information i have a summary of spiritism you can also get my other books talking about i have spiritism 101 you can get you know it's very simple very short book just an introduction to spiritism i have more books like heaven and below a series of three heaven and below spirits and spirit universe and and how we are guided by spirits what goes deep into the processes and organization of the spirit world, what are we as spirits, what our attributes are, and how then we're guided when we are in a physical life and what the future of earth is. So I want to thank everyone for being with me today. Again, please subscribe, ring that bell, and tell others. Anyway, I want to say thanks and God bless.